0: Welcome to episode 17 of the Civil War Breakfast Club. I am joined by my co-host, the Dairy Queen of Car- Kincardine, Mary Fincher, and I am Darren Weeks. Good evening, Mary, and how are you this evening?
1: I'm very good, thank you. How are you? And you're also called Darrenus Couch? Darrenus Couch. couch.
0: couch. do you Couch. What do you call me? You um, know, <laughs> Olivia O'Howard. Yeah. What a surprise. I didn't know you liked Oliver O'Howard. No, Howard. you I didn't. was not aware
1: of that. No, apparently I, I was not aware of that. <laughs> apparently he's the biggest failure of the Civil War. Did you know that? Oh,
0: he was. He, he, was. he was. That's uh, what he I got
1: told a, tonight.
0: Boy, did you get told off today. <laughs> Ooh, sh- you got told to sit in the corner hard today, Mary. Oh, you I did. God,
1: hours. people are funny about stuff like that. Oh, they certainly are. They're yeah. certainly funny. But
0: how's everything going? We had a good Facebook Live the other day that we I think went 11 hours, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> it, wasn't it certainly felt fun. like it. Talked about all kinds of fun things. We had a great group. We had a big crowd. So I yep. knew who'd sign on for that. Muchas gracias, as they say. Thanks for signing on to that. We're moving on. We're on to Fredericksburg, Mary. Yep. We're we moving to new heights. Ooh, I see what you did there. Ooh. I see what you did there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> see if I can ford the river and join you in this conversation. Hope I'm not too, too late, Mary. but we'll find out.
1: I we'll hope you I
0: don't get it first, though. Oh, oh, okay. Well, all right. I am drinking from Barnstable Brewery. It is called uh, Sweet Night for S'mores, which is a <laughs> chocolate s'mores. I know, whatever it is. But you know what? It's good. And the reason why I picked this one, it has a moon on it.
1: Yeah, I buy beers because they have moons on them too, and that's, that's what mine true. thats what mine has on it. It's Lost Craft Eclipse IPA. Uh, I wanted a moon on it because my boy, oh, oh, even though he's not in the 11th Corps in the Battle of Fredericksburg, he's not leading them at that point. I still associate okay. the moon with him. Right. And I'm drinking it out of my General George Mead mug because... Oh, so, yeah, since you didn't I'd, ask me. Hey, I thought it was just common knowledge that you would do that.
0: I am drinking it out of a random Civil War cup because I... I'm not graced with a mead or a mug. So anyway, tonight, Mary, we were going to do the Santa McClaus Christmas spectacular. We but I got I got pushed to the side, and told to go oh, in the corner. Tucker. And You tonight- agree,
1: you said it was a good idea because then we could do the Facebook Live on the anniversary. I was just playing nice, Mary.
0: No, that's fine. Yes, you're right. So, so we decided we're going to do Fredericksburg, the Battle of Fredericksburg, because this is the anniversary. And then next week, we're going to do our great Christmas spectacular. So all the are. stars are lined up, all the pyrotechnics, everything's lined up yep. for next week. So we'll do that, with that next week. So
1: It will be the we- first annual Civil War Breakfast Club Christmas Spectacular.
0: Oh, God, it's going to be big time. we have to see if we can get some celebrity to host that one. We can just sit there with our tuxedos on. We can sit there in the crowd. We get up, someone takes our seats to fill the seats. It'll be, it'll be a very touching thing. It'll be a great Christmas. maybe but... we can get and somebody we...
1: who's paid to do the Civil War thing. Oh, my
0: God, like 30000 a year. But again, what do we know? Yeah. We're just two dudes sitting around talking about the Civil War. Exactly. Anyway, that's who we are. Yeah. But tonight, speaking of sitting around talking about the Civil War, why don't we talk about Fredericksburg? What well, we should. Nothing else to do, right? Let's do yeah, that. Exactly. We will jump back a little bit. So this is this is good stuff. So Fredericksburg, we're going to talk about some superlatives as we go on. But basically, you've got about two hundred thousand soldiers on site for this one, which is the biggest battle in the Civil War as far as humanity. Mm-hmm. We have a whole bunch of firsts. We're going to have some of the first examples of city fighting. But we're going to, I guess, we got to turn back the clock a little bit though, because when we last saw the Eastern Theater in 1862 the union was about to change generals again
1: yep they november,
0: were. F- november 5th 1862 lincoln finally gets rid of mcclellan real quick you know we can refer back to our Antietam episode but he wins the battle of Antietam. he doesn't pursue lee lincoln is finally sick of him for not being aggressive so he decides to get rid of him for some inexplicable reason mary he goes to the uh the general store and buys himself a new general and he gets ambrose burnside now Burnside's an interesting cat because he was asked to command the army before that. And he says, I'm not qualified. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Yeah. I don't want to do it. He
1: nopes the fuck away from that pretty quickly. He, he walks
0: away. Finally, again, Lincoln after Antietam, in November, he says, Listen, how about that job I offered you? It's like that recruiter who won't stop freaking calling. Yeah. You know, you know, like when the Clinton dairy queen keeps calling you trying to get you a change. <laughs> and so what happens is he finally he calls him again and says, Ambrose, Lincoln says, I need to take over. And he goes, listen, I told you I'm not qualified. But he goes, all right, well, I'm going to give it to Hooker then. I know you hate him. And he goes, whoa, 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 Fuck whoa, that. whoa, wait one second. I didn't Fuck say that. I wasn't qualified. I'm, I said, I love the job. Thank you so much for offering. Let's talk real quick about Ambrose Burnside. So he's a Rhode Islander. He's obviously no Frank Wheaton, but who is, right? So he. Uh, so by definition, he's a civil engineer. I've always thought of Ambrose Burnside as the Charlie Brown of the Civil War. Because if anybody's going to get the football pulled away from him, it's going to be this guy. He just seems to step in all the friggin' time. This is a guy who, before the war, invented a rifle called the Burnside Carbine, which was a very popular rifle in the Civil War made a lot of money. But before the war, he sold the patent, so he got nothing. So he got (laughs) absolutely zero. So he got screwed with that. Very popular rifle. Before the war, too, in the 1840s, he was going to get himself married, Mary. Did you hear the story?
1: Oh, no, I don't think I did. He was going
0: to get married to a woman named Charlotte Lottie Moon. Speaking of Moon. Oh. He was engaged to her, okay? They were at the altar. True story. Fact, not fiction. Will you take this man to be a lawfully wedded husband? She says, and I quote, No surrey Bob. And literally, that's exactly what she said. Probably the first time it's ever been said. No sirree, Bob. She turned and ran out of the church. Left Ambrose Burnside at the altar. Oh it gets God. better though, Mary. It gets better. Okay. You know what old Lottie ended up doing during the war? Going to the bang barn? Don't jump ahead. Don't give away the end of the story. She became a Confederate spy. So Lottie Moon became a Confederate spy. <laughs> she got arrested during the war for spying. Guess who arrested her? Ambrose Burnside. Ambrose Burnside.
1: Was she arrested at a bang barn?
0: Well, I don't know, maybe. But do you have any idea how happy he must have been to arrest her? Now, she ended up not getting charged. But here's the thing about old Lottie. At one time, she was engaged to 16 different guys, Confederate soldiers. Oh, she's a, whoa. So guess what her nickname was? Lottie. That is a true story. That is a true story. So Burnside gets left at the altar for a woman who becomes a Confederate spy who he arrests, she ends up being engaged to 16 Confederate grebs at the same time, and no one knows it. That's the type of people he hung with, by the way.
1: Wow. He um, was also best friends with General McClellan until the Battle of Antietam when Burnside asked for extra troops at Burnside, what is now Burnside Bridge, and McClellan is like, yeah. nope.
0: Yeah, the old side dish of Mac and Burn was no <laughs> longer served at the old Pickett's Buffet <laughs> yep. after that, that Antietam battle. That's for damn sure. But, wasn't,
1: but didn't he owe AP Hill money? Was that the was
0: no AP Hill? Yes, that... he, he Burnside owed AP Hill money, He know, eight thousand dollars. Yeah, from, from back in the day, so yeah, he did. But anyway, so Burns Burnside, <laughs> this is the background, this is the guy. That's why he's the Charlie Brown. He really is, he really, really is. So he basically is in charge. He has got this plan that he carried over from McClellan, he's still obsessed with. Sacking Richmond. At mm-hmm. this point of the war, it's still about getting capture the flag, capture the city. Everybody's happy. So basically he amasses his army, has a gigantic friggin' army, okay, in Warrenton, Virginia. It's within review of Reb spies, so they know they're all there. But what he wants to do is he wants to basically fake towards Culpepper, which is where Lee and the guys are. He wants yeah. to give him a head bob like basketball. And he's gonna cut over and advance quickly to Richmond. And his goal is to beat him there. Sack the Capitol before Lee can get there. That's what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. Lincoln doesn't like the plan, though, Mary. He doesn't like it. Lincoln, he basically, and at this point, it's no surprise. He hated all these plans with these generals. But again, he acquiesces to this plan. Lincoln wants Burnside to go right at Lee. Don't waste your time going for Richmond. Go get Lee. Because Lincoln wants a win in the South. The Union had not won a battle in the South yet at this point. It's all been in the North and and Teetham and, you know, whatever. He wants to beat Lee in the South. That's what he really, really wants. So on the 14th of of November of 1862, Lincoln, although he hates
1: the plan, agrees to the plan, and that's what's going to happen. I think one thing to mention, though, is how some of the generals in the AOP felt about Burnside Mm -hmm. taking over. Obviously, I have a quote from my boy, Howard. He said, I should feel safer with McClellan to finish what he had planned and was executing so well. I fear we haven't a better man. And then Howard also goes to see Burnside soon after he is given the command. And he said, Burnside appeared sad and weary. And then Burnside was basically like, dude, don't fucking congratulate me because I'm not happy. Like Burnside has no confidence in himself at all. He's been basically ordered to do this. But as you said, Darren, to your point, when he finds out it's Hooker, he's like, no, 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 I'm qualified. I can do it because he had, he and Hooker did not get along at all. And then Alpheus Williams says, Burnside is a most agreeable, companionable gentleman and a good officer, but it is not regarded by the officers who know him best as equal to McClellan in any respect. Your namesake tonight, Darius Couch or Cooch, I don't know, I've heard it pronounced two different ways, said, and he's not mincing words here. We did not think he had the military ability to command the Army of the Potomac that's how the commanders are feeling about this decision at this point and that's just the opinions of three of them and i'm pretty sure there were others that had those same thoughts as well about him
0: a lot of the generals didn't like mcclellan they saw burnside as a mcclellan toady a clown whatever you want to call it his yeah. little henchman through a lot of it that's part of it too but to burnside's credit he does right out of the shoot. i mean 11-5 he gets he basically gets the job mm-hmm. right off the bat a week later he's got this plan immediately it was mcclellan's plan it's like finding your own backyard they can discover he has an aggressive plan that he wants now give lincoln credit because we talked before about him kind of meddling and stuff like that he lets burnside do this plan and you know he didn't want him to do it he knew burnside I me mean, at this point there wasn't a lot of great options for the the army of the of the potomac as far exactly. as what that was
1: a lot of behind the scenes repair work that had to be done too like before mcclellan was taken away he had met or taken away <laughs> fired he and Herman Haupt, Haupt, Haupt,
0: I don't know. I can't H-A-U-P-T. H-A-U-P-T. It's Herman Haupt. Haupt. I think that's correct. He did, you, did you know, um, he built that house in Gettysburg right by Cemetery Hill. You know that, mm-hmm. that little red house that I wanted to buy yep. for $900,000, but
1: maybe someday,
0: maybe someday. Who knows? Dream like, home. Ah, sounds like a good place. I can <laughs> a lot of beers in that deck, Mary.
1: <laughs> McClellan and Haupt meet to go over what needs to be done. To support any advance of a distance beyond Warrington, the, I think it's the Orange and Alexandria Railway would have to, would be stretched beyond capacity to even do that. Like Manassas Gap was operable, but limited. And then the Orange and Alexandria met their needs. Acquia, which was kind of like a a place along the river, Rappahannock, or no, Richmond, Fredericksburg, Potomac Railway to Falmouth had to get priority for being repaired. So there's this work that has to be done before this plan can be executed.
0: And that's the better real though. See, Lee wanted him to take the other one, the orange yep. one, because he knew that tri- He knew that was shit. He knew it. The one that went to Potomac, the, that one you just mentioned, that's the one that, that they wanted to take because it was the one that was the better one. It Had less work that had to be done. Yeah, on the,
1: or- the orange in Alexandria was like the most operable one. But if they used it, it would have been stretched beyond its capacity if they were to use that one. Lee would have loved it if he took that one. Yeah. He would have
0: loved it if he took that one. Yeah. But he didn't. November 15th, he decides he's going to start moving this army. So they start to arrive in Falmouth. to your point, mm-hmm. which is right across the the Rappahannock. <laughs> but this is in a hurry, though. I mean, he needs to get a stay ahead of Lee. And he knows that. Yeah. Lee knows where he's going. So Lee starts to mobilize. But the problem they run into is this river, this Rappahannock River, which is, a, which is not yeah. the atomic, but it's big. So he needs pontoon boats, Mary. He needs exactly. boats. Exactly.
1: Burnside's plan is basically perfect on paper. Like It's meeting three different assumptions. Like The federals have to get ahead of them, which is why they're booting it, right? So they need to gain a march on Lee, cross the Rappahannock on pontoon bridges, which to your point, this is what this all hinges on, in a quote-unquote timely fashion, seize Fredericksburg, which is lightly guarded at this point. Keep in mind, this is in early November. And then it also depends on what Hopped has to do with the construction crews to repair the Richmond Fredericksburg Potomac Rail Bridge, repair the line beyond the advancing Army of the Potomac, and then the RF&P Railway, as it'll be called from now on, be supplied from the Aquia Landing or Aquia Landing, which needs to be repaired as well. So it's hinging on those three things, especially the pontoon bridges.
0: Right, the pontoon, so he orders them on the 7th of November through mm-hmm. Henry Halleck. Okay, now we'll jump ahead real quick. He orders them on the 7th. They don't They don't arrive until 1125, which is why you don't order pontoon boats on eBay right there.
1: Yep. Okay. Especially okay. if it's sold so by a guy and, named and Alec.
0: Yeah, and don't use Canadian mail either. It takes forever. Trust <laughs> exactly. Me. So he orders that. It doesn't arrive. So Burnside's assuming these things are going to be rushed. The 14th, some of the, pont- the pontoons do start to arrive. But he doesn't have the necessary 250 or so horses to move them.
1: No, nope, they don't so have ba-
0: that. So they're basically sitting by themselves, vacant. You know, and time is running now. And now he's like, "Shit, we need to get going. We're stuck." Now he's stuck. So there's some plans that are going to start coming up from different generals pretty soon. But again, right off the bat, you can see this plan. And in my, if, if this were me, Mary, at this point, I would have, st- I would have backed off from this plan right I then.
1: I would have. It's not. But I think he feels like he's in too deep at this point. He clearly is out of his element in this role. And it's quite, to me, there's other generals that would have been obviously better suited. And I think those generals will later get command. But one in particular, I'm thinking of, which we'll get to later. But Burnside's clearly out of his element. But I think one thing to mention too, before we go, we'll get back to the plan, but just talk about how the AOP is set up and then who is in the army of Northern Virginia that is going to be fighting against them at the Battle of Fredericksburg.
0: So the... Army of, of the Potomac, the core structure is a little bit different. They're basically three quotation figures core with this one. They're gonna be set up as the right grand division, which is gonna be controlled by Edward Sumner. We'll talk about here in a few minutes, actually. The center grand division by our friend Joseph Hooker, and the left grand division by William Franklin, which we will talk about um, here in a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. And basically they're gonna have a couple they're gonna have a couple armies, Darius Couch. Is going to have one from the second corps in the in the right, uh, Orlando Wilcox, and we'll talk more about them. The mm-hmm. center, the center grand, is going to have George Stoneman. He's also going to have d- our friend Daniel Butterfield. This is going to be under Hooker, so that whole bang barn, the triple X, is back. Okay,
1: <laughs> uh,
0: and then the, the left grand division is going to be run by our friend John Reynolds, and he's going to have Doubleday and Gibbon and Meade, some Getty, some Gettysburg names. The other d- army is going to be controlled by, uh, by William Baldy Smith of the sixth corps. And he's gonna have Franz Siegel and Henry Slocum as reserves. He's gonna have Alfred Pleasanton as cavalry, but he's gonna have Henry Hunt as artillery, which is gonna be big in this.
1: Yeah. And then my boy OO is with Couch. He's in the second corps, commanded by Couch, with that's where Hancock is. So he's under Sumner. Some other ones like Sickles is here, Bernie's here, Sykes, Humphreys, some familiar Ooh, names. we'll
0: we'll talk about Bernie here in a few minutes, Mary.
1: Oh, <laughs> mead does not like burning after his ears battle. his
0: ears are still ringing he's yep. been dead for 150 years
1: <laughs> i think he was left stoned after that one. Oh, look at
0: you look at you going oh, okay
1: <laughs> as you said franz siegel is is in the reserve he's actually meant to protect washington if anything were to happen to washington yeah. and they don't participate either slocum
0: nor siegel don't participate on yep. this one on the 11th and 12th Corps, respectively but again, big army on the field, 120, 125,000 guys. This is the biggest, biggest group of people it's ever probably been in, you know, Fredericksburg certainly. But, but this is the biggest battle on the Confederate side. You're starting to see the beginning of what will become the, the Army of Northern Virginia that we see later. So Robert e. Lee obviously is commanding. He's got 80,000 guys. His first corps is controlled by James Longstreet. He'll have some familiar faces on his divisions. Division commanders Lafayette McClaws, Richard Anderson, George Pickett, John Bell Hood, also, Robert Ransom, kind of an obscure name. The 2nd Corps is run, run by Stonewall Jackson. You may have heard of him, Mary. Division commanders D.H. Hill, A.P. Hill, no relation. Jubal Early, William Telfiero. They'll have William Pendleton as artillery and old friend Jeb Stewart as their artillery guys so a lot of familiar names 80,000 guys like I said so again 200 something thousand guys on this battlefield biggest one by far in the Civil War
1: and Jeb Stewart will not be late for this battle he will not be there he will not be there he will not be there <laughs> that, <laughs> he will not be
0: there that's able.
1: like you when you told everybody they couldn't participate in the round table
0: I don't know I don't remember saying that, that
1: Leonard remembers Leonard's wrong well, he's a big Zoe guy, so he's not wrong. Now he's going to post that meme again that he made about when you said that uh, no one can participate.
0: <laughs> oh, good, good. I haven't seen that in a few weeks. Sometimes I'll be not back. <laughs> anyway, so real quick, going back to Fredericksburg, okay? When we last left this battle, um, Burnside's sitting there waiting for his pontoon boats, and his army guys are getting a little fidgety because they know they need to get across that river, and they need to get through the town, need to get to those heights before Lee gets there. The opportunity's still there, so... Edward Bull Sumner. He's 65 years old, Mary. He's the oldest general on the battlefield on either side, 65 years old.
1: And Burnside just side note does not want him there at all. They were trying to get him into administrative role for whatever reason. Burnside does not like Bull Sumner, but he had a couple of decisions to make. So he could have either put Bull Sumner down lower and not commanding Mm -hmm. the grand division, but that would have meant bumping people down which that's never a good thing. So he puts him in charge of the grand division. So he doesn't have to worry about shifting a lot of people around, but for whatever reason, he's got something against Sumner. And I I don't quite know what it is because Sumner seems to have a pretty good idea of what's going on and what should be happening at this battle. Well,
0: he's the voice of reason here. He's the one who makes a lot of sense. I mean, he'll make his mistakes when we talk about Maurice Heights a little while. He approaches Burnside and he says, listen, let me take some guys and cross the river. Because I can make it. I can go right across. Mm-hmm. I'm a 65-year-old guy who is old, and I'll walk across this goddamn river. I mm-hmm. don't care. He, he's going to do what he wants and because he sees the importance because he, he's looking at the clock, and it's, he ain't got it. They don't got time. And he knows if the Rebs get there, this is done. And he knows Burnside's not backing off. He knows this is going to be an absolute shit show if he does not get there first.
1: One of Sumner's staff sees a cow wade across the Rappahannock to the other side. And they measure how far up that water went on the cow when it was three feet. Like a big mm. cow nurse. <laughs> and that's when Sumner's like, we can fucking cross this. So he approaches Burnside and says, let's do it. They'd probably like to scene an animal
0: house with, with Pluto, but it gets turned down. He just, Burnside just rejects the plan because what he fears, to be honest, we're in December now in Virginia. Now it's not Ontario or Massachusetts, but it's still winter or p- pretty much close to winter. He's afraid that what's going to happen is somebody's going to take his guys. They're going to go across the river and the weather is going to get bad and they're going to get stranded. And if they do, yeah. they're done. this picture, oh, kill at Gettysburg, because, but you can't escape. Once you're there, you're there. And here's the ironic thing, Mary, about this. This is one of those things maybe I think about. He tells Sumner, I don't want you to go across that river because it could lead to unnecessary disaster and death. He'll tell Sumner a couple of days later, take everyone in charge of that hill. I don't care. So, he, he, so he's trying to protect a couple of lives, and then he sends seven divisions at mary's heights so something flipped because he went from yeah, taking I... life to saying who cares he yolo it pretty quickly but that that's kind of funny when you think about how he changed with that with oh. psychology
1: yeah and I, and of course like you know hindsight is everything in this and howard writing in his memoirs says that forty thousand men could have crossed before dark and got to mary's heights before lee yeah you so know. someone would have got to take those heights before lee did
0: you know ep alexander's up there waiting He's, he's yeah. gonna be getting there soon. You know, he won't want him up there. But Lee is moving fast now because he, he knows he's got to get there. So he, he wants to get between Burnside and Richmond at this point. Because he knows what he knows what Burnside's plan is. He knows he his, he just knows. He directs his troops to Fredericksburg. Now his army's spread out again. I mean, this is again, they're all over the place. Stowell Jackson's all the way up to Winchester, which apparently he's always in Winchester, I guess, because that's where he was here. So he's got to come down. Longstreet is closer. So he will arrive on the 23rd of November. James Longstreet gets to Fredericksburg. He puts his troops on Maurice Heights, which is about 600 yards west of the primary town, so a light ridge, but it's behind a stone wall. He's going to put his divisions of Richard Anderson, Lafayette McClaws, Pickett, and Hood left to right across that wall. And so he's got a strong formation right there. He's going to put Alexander up there we mentioned for the artillery. But then here's the thing, though, right? Jackson arrives on the 29th of November, okay, from Winchester. The 29th versus when he gets there, in the twenty third when Longstreet's there—that's six days. Goodwill hunting, right? Six yeah. days. Math. That's still six days where Burnside can still get them because he's still only got one army. You know, Jackson's army is not there yet. So once they get there, the game changes. So Jackson's going to arrive. He's going to deploy his army, spread out downstream over an eighteen-mile range along that Rappahannock River. You know, he's going to basically to prevent Burnside from crossing. So now the goal is making sure Burnside stays on him, stays on his side of the playpen. You want mm-hmm. to keep him over there. He has DH Hill like 18, 19 miles away, way the hell down. But they're doing the right thing because they know they have to keep him out of
1: the city. But the funny thing is before that is Hooker had gone to Burnside and said, dude, I got a plan. And of course, it's it's going to be a no right away, right? Because it's it's Hooker versus Burnside, and Hooker wanted to cross upstream at the U.S. Ford and swing southeast and put his forty thousand men on the R.F.P. Railroad at Hanover Junction and get supplies sent from Port Royal, and he felt that this would catch the rebels off guard, because and this is what Hooker said they were counting on the McClellan delays for a long while, and just yeah. Burnside shuts that plan down too, so he shut down. Hooker, and he shut down Sumner. This is where you kind of see, I think, Burnside was...
0: You can tell that he wasn't sure of what he ultimately wanted to do. He's and not I think meant he, to command an army. That, no, that, he wasn't. That's he for wasn't. sure. Very, You know what? Very John Bell Hood like Mary. Very similar, I thought. Where I, yes, you I, know, yes. Where maybe yes. they're better in a lower position. Although Hood does well here, actually. But, but the reality is, I think he knows what he has to do, but he just stalls. And every time, every day that stalls, it gets even delayed. So... The 25th of November, which we know is the greatest day of the year, mm-hmm. the pontoons finally do arrive. They finally get there, but it's too late to really do anything about it. So, But still, the 25th is still before Jackson gets there, so even if they get these pontoons built, he can still get there before Jackson arrives. He still has the opportunity, but he still doesn't do it. He waited too long to cross, and he missed a golden opportunity to really go get Longstreet. He really, really did. Still would have had to deal with the hill, he would have, but you would have had a much smaller army. He plans it across a place called Skinker's Neck, which is just fun to say. It it is. It just is. Skinker's, you know, Skinker's Neck. Um, a type of
1: lizard isn't
0: it? I, you know what? I don't
1: know. Maybe a skink is a a, a skink. A skink is a type of like lizard, I think. All right, we'll go with that then.
0: I think we'll go with that. Um, But there's where federal gunboats are going to show up, and they're going to be fired upon by uh, early and D.H. Hill. They are spotted by balloons, Mary, the the Goodwill Blimp. Apparently, you know. (laughs) They they find the Good Year book. Goodwill I'm looking at the cheap one. So the good, the, good year, the good Year. So the Good. The, good, the good I'm willy. not editing that. Oh, good. Thank you so much. But, but so so. Anyways, they finally decide to cross directly right at Fredericksburg, which makes no sense. They could cross at one of a million places, yeah. and they cross the place right across from them. They're going to get ready to cross. Now, in Burnside's defense, he did think the Confederates were still at a place called Port Royal that you mentioned. So he thought yeah. he had a little bit of leeway, but they weren't. Some time goes by again, and we're going to fast forward to twelve nine, which I yeah. think is a year from tomorrow, Mary.
1: It is. I do okay. have a funny quote to read from Oliver Otis Howard, though, regarding the pontoon bridges, because I've been reading OO's memoirs for a while, but I found an even better source for them online. So I was reading what he had to say about Fredericksburg. He's very sarcastic at times and just very like you can catch the humor between the lines so he says of the pontoons as it required 13 days to do a piece of work which could easily have been done in three days it would be a marvelous stretch of charity to impute it to mere bungling in other words howard actually believes that halleck has something to do with the delay because it was spalding who took the pontoons from harpers ferry to washington and he was to take them to another guy. And this guy was delayed by a day. And it was because of Halleck. So, Howard, right there, is one of the ones that's putting the blame on the administration for this. That, well, yeah. like Howard said, this should have taken three days. And it's taken 13. There was obviously something
0: wrong with that. Halleck gets a lot of the blame, justifiably so. A lot of the guys blame Halleck, but yeah. a really hamstrung. Union Burnside. Now, Burnside did his own—he did his own share of fucking this whole thing. Oh, up. he did, he did. But he proceeded anyway when he really shouldn't have. So, speaking of Halleck, on the on the 9th of, of December, eighteen sixty-two, he's going to write to Halleck about his plans to attack the town. He's going to put two hundred and twenty guns on a place called Stafford Heights, that where he's going to use to attack if Lee decides to con- you know, counter. So now we fast forward again to December eleventh, which is the beginning day of this battle. So, mm-hmm. the, the pontoons have arrived. So the engineers are going to start to build the the pontoon bridges early in the morning of 1211. So it's early. Everything in the Civil War always starts early, you know. So he's going to put two bridges north of the town, one south of the town, and three further south. So that's where he's going to put them. But immediately they're going to come under fire from Mississippi sharpshooters from Barksdale's brigade. Barksdale is in charge of the defenses of the town at this point. These guys, and it's important, these guys are shooting at them from the basements of these stone houses. And what's important about that is they're basically protected from the artillery of those Safford Hills guns I just mentioned. They can take shots at these guys. The engineers, now these are engineers, these are not soldiers. They're like, I don't think I like being shot. So they're like, the hell with this. This is when Henry Hunt, the artillerist, is gonna basically convince Burnside, let's let's just send some of our infantry across the river, put them in boats, send them across the river, and deal with these guys. And yeah. and, and burnside this is burnside finally goes okay fine we'll do this so he's gonna go take care of a guy named norman hall who's under oh howard yeah i was gonna
1: say like howard like howard in his memoirs he can just he describes the roar of the artillery and he recounts when he was approached about this by hunt and so it's the seventh michigan which is led by lieutenant colonel baxter and they volunteer to go across in the in the boats, they will be followed by the 19th Massachusetts, the 15th Mass, and the 59th New York, as well. Am I getting that right?
0: 20th Mass, but you said Massachusetts beautifully, though, Mary.
1: Oh well, 19th. 19th was what was in O.O.'s memoirs. 19th, 20th.
0: It's okay. That's okay. But you, but the important thing you that Massachusetts perfectly. Oh, thank you. You did. You did. That's a very good.
1: <laughs> but Franklin has already gone to. Burnside at this point too and he's proposed crossing down river and sending them all down there and Burnside's no we've got to complete these bridges at all costs but that's when they go with this plan to send them across in boats the 7th Michigan as I said would would be the first to go across and the 7th Michigan when they go across so I mean the engineers are rowing them but the 7th Michigan they lay down flat in their boats That's a tough,
0: they're squeezed into these boats, but they do, they do finally get there. I mean, I, you know, must comfortable ride, but Mm -hmm. they finally got there and they landed spread out on the other side of the river and they built basically like a beachhead, Mm -hmm. a landing, a landing spot. They started to spread out into the city because the artillery wasn't going to take these guys out. And this is the first example of urban slash city fighting in American history, Mary. We'll see it a lot more later on in different wars, like World War II, Vietnam, you know, all those stuff. But this is the very first, actually Gettysburg too, but you'll, this is the first time you'll see it in Fredericksburg. And while this is going on, the engineers are finally able to finish these pontoons because these guys are finally taking care of their neutralized. Sumner's right grand division is going to cross about 4.30 in the afternoon. But although most of the guys didn't get across till right the next day, Sumner's guys are going to go back and they're going to start clearing the town. Now they're going to go up there and push these guys. But, the problem with with the, this war was the the town wasn't the thing. Fredericksburg offered zero tactical anything with this. It was like Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. The, the the problem was the Confederates were on the hills, so the town meant nothing. Yeah. But they did they did clear the town. Um, night falls on twelve eleven. They got about four brigades now over in Fredericksburg. Here's the thing though, Mary is. You know what the you know what the Union guys do when they're in town that night? They do a little bit of rioting and that's what like, uh, yeah, they
1: it's, and it's funny how it's perceived in different accounts. When Howard writes about it, he just says, there was some rioting, some soldiers for sport dressed themselves fantastically in all sorts of apparel and some gave themselves to plunder, but no instance of personal abuse or violence to non-combatants came to, to mind. A few men as usual found the wine cellars and became intoxicated and that's all howard says about it and then he he also has this one story he refers to them as a hilarious group and they are a group of men that are playing musical instruments and singing and dancing and howard just goes to them and says this is unusual prep for battle and they say ah oh, general let us sing and dance tonight we will fight the better for it tomorrow so howard has a very downplayed point of view of it yet there are men in the union army that see what these soldiers are doing as being absolutely horrific.
0: Well, and Lee is outraged at this. Oh, he is. It, 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 play, it plays in the papers. But according to Lee, now this is a, according to Lee, okay, there were four civilians killed in this looting. Now, who knows if it's true or not. That's the number that was four civilians killed. But Lee in the South are outraged. I mean, it's sort really of the beginning of things to come with later campaigns in the West with Sherman and those guys. Yeah. But the reality is, it that they did it i mean they certainly did they parried in the town they scared the hell out of the, the civilians allegedly killed four of them yeah. but it de- it definitely did go against that gentlemanly thing that was ever head at that point
1: which is sad because this is not the first time the union army has been in fredericksburg they've been there before and reynolds was the one that occupied the town and the citizens of Fredericksburg said he was just absolutely wonderful to them, to the point that when Reynolds was actually captured after he fell asleep, after I think it was Fair Oaks, yeah, fell asleep DHL in the woods. Him, yeah. yeah, DHL got him, and he was taken prisoner. It was the citizens of Fredericksburg that came together and petitioned for him to be paroled from prison. So that's just something right there. There was one New Hampshire colonel that wrote, "The conduct of our men and officers too is atrocious." And their object seems to be destroy what they can't steal, and to steal all they can. So there's some very different viewpoints going on here. Yeah,
0: can I tell it? you something? I tend to believe the Southern guys with this one. I think they, I think the Union guys really. Oh, they it. did. I, I, they, I mean, think about what they must have been doing. I
1: mean, yeah, like all, like Howard, I think is down. He's completely downplaying it in his memoirs. Mm-hmm. Like you can't tell oh, me he's oh, like there was a bit of rioting. It's like come on, Howard. <laughs> I mean, they you know obviously they you know they're, they're, again
0: memoirs. You know what I mean? Memories of men. But, but regardless, whatever happened happened. It's it's historical memory, Mary. That's what yep, people exactly. tend to think. You know, yep. William Franklin from the left grand division is going to pretty much get in town by about one o'clock in the afternoon. Stonewall at this point. You know, I mentioned before how we had Early and D.H. Hill way down the river. He's going to call them back now. So he's going to bring them back in the defensive line to basically man the, the southern hills we'll talk about here in a second. Burnside's plan, now we got to look at his big picture real quick before we get into these details of this battle. Okay? His plan is hilariously bad, just disaster. So his plan is to send one division on each side of the battlefield, through this one to the city and one to the hills in the south. And then Robert E. Lee is going to be intimidated by those two divisions. He's then he He's then going to retreat, because that's what he always does, and then while they're retreating, he's going to have the entire army pig pile on him while he's retreating. Plan. That's
1: a complete sure, Jan,
0: <laughs> sure, Jan. That, that's, <laughs> that, that's one of those, you know, um, you know, steel underwear plus question mark equals make money. You know, yeah. one of those deals, <laughs> exactly. you know, and plan makes no sense, but that's what they want to do. But this is what the subordinate generals are looking at going, say what? This is the plan. So Franklin, who you can tell does not like Burnside just because the whole thing goes, he doesn't know what the hell's going on. The night of the 12th, he basically goes to bed knowing he's going to attack the next day and has no clue what he's going to do. This is almost a little, a little bit like Chick-a- yep. little Chickamauga. Yeah, right? he, he doesn't so, get
1: orders until 5.50 in the morning. Right.
0: So he doesn't know what's going on. He gets his orders the next morning early. He's thinking, okay, I'm an aggressive guy. We have these guys over a barrel. I'm going to attack with everybody, and we're going to win this. Because that's that's what it's Civil War, it's all but the numbers, right? He's told to attack with one division at least. That's the exact quote by Burnside. And then there's other just jargon things. So he's told, he's going to take a place called Prospect Hill. And he's told to seize the hill, not carry the hill. Now, it doesn't sound like a difference, but in the Civil War days, seize the hill basically meant go up there, scare the hell out of the guys, make them run. You're not going to occupy. We're not going to commit more troops to help you. Versus carry the hill means push them off. He's told to seize the hill. So now Franklin's thinking, all right, I got one division to do this with, and I'm going to seize the hill. I don't know who's up there, but that's the plan. So he wakes up the next morning, this fog all over the battlefield, he can't see shit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so now he's gonna basically tell John Reynolds, okay, here's what I want you to do. He tells Reynolds, pick a division, because this is what the boss wants, and attack.
1: Reynolds, you know who he picks? He picks Meade. He picks
0: he his- picks Meade. He picks the Meade- best guy. But he picks his best guy, but what does he have? He has the smallest. He's got the
1: smallest amount, but he's got confidence in him with that.
0: He's got got confidence, but he's only got 4,500 guys. That's all he has. So he's going to take basically Meade. He's going to be supported by John Gibbon. He's going to take double day, and he's going to basically point himself to protect his left flank sort of. But that's the plan. He's going to say, you know, Meade, you're going to go up there. So about 830 in the morning, Meade starts moving. Okay, he's going to get up there. He's got Gibbon on his flank. He immediately starts taking what's called horse artillery. That's like the that, the ten pound and under guns, the small guns yep. that are run by the horses. You're not talking about the you know, siege guns, or you're not talking about Napoleons. You're talking about the, the smaller stuff. That's controlled by a guy named John Pelham. Okay, John Pelham was a 24 year old dude, young kid in charge of these guns. Um, he tells Jeb Stewart, you know, I can hold any ground. He's just very, very confident. I'm, you know, um, just one of those guys. He's basically going to start to get hit by counter fire. So the 24th Michigan, who's new to the Iron Brigade, they just came in in October this year. Mm. Last time we talked about these guys, they weren't there yet. So yeah. the 24th Michigan, unlike this Saturday, they're showing up for a thing. Speaking of Michigan, <laughs> another story. Okay. So the 24th Michigan is now on the battlefield. So they're going to show up and they're going to start taking hits at them. You know, Pelham basically is going to have to withdraw He's going to really stall. And Lee is impressed. He sees the Pelham holding his own against this infantry. And He has that quote. He goes, you know, talking about Pelham, the 24-year-old. He is glorious to see such, it is glorious to see such courage for a man so young. This picture of
1: Martin Sheen saying that, that's yep. exactly what it is. What was Pelham came out of this with a nickname, right? Pelham the... Right? Um, I don't know. Okay. We'll I think it was a superb. I think I think that's superb. I, no yeah. I, no I don't know. I thought I heard awesome. that today in a podcast. There was some It might. It might have been. It might have been.
0: Probably like a
1: super artillery,
0: maybe. Hey, <laughs> a super fan artillery. <laughs> anyway, so um, so this is going on now. John Jackson is going to use the rest of his artillery at this point. It's real artillery. Open up on, on Prospect Hill. The real artillery is going to is going to stall Meade. Now Meade is about 600 yards away from his goal, but he can't get any closer because it's artillery. Now Stonewall. He's got 35,000 guys hidden in the woods in Meade's front. Must have been a big woods, Mary. 35,000 guys, okay? But the problem was he's got James Lane on Mm -hmm. one side and James Archer on another one. But for some reason, he leaves a gap in between the two. It's 600 yards. They say the reason for the gap was because that area was open to Union Artillery, which Mm -hmm. there was a significant artillery hitting that area. But there's a gap. And so Meade sees that gap and he's going to take full advantage. He's basically going to hit them. He's going to find it. He's going to hit uh, Wayne's flank on the right. He's going to send a guy named Fager Jackson who's going to go in and hit Archer's flank. Even though he doesn't have a lot of guys, Mary, he's doing well. He's pushing. He's getting up where he needs to go. The gap gets blocked.
1: He does really well. Like OO's, you know, recounting of this, like Meade must have sat down and told him about it because Howard recounts it very, very well in his memoirs and Meade writes to his wife after my men went in beautifully and carried everything before them and drove the enemy for nearly half a mile so Meade's doing really really well but with limited amount of troops he's going to need support and the one problem by this point is that gibbon has been wounded and gibbon's get, men when he gets wounded the gibbons men are like fuck yeah Gibbon gets hurt in his hand they got him nelson taylor
0: is going to take over his division who is not he's nelson taylor Okay, fine, but he's not John Gibbon. So no. he's but before that happens, he, so the gap gets widened. He gets support of a guy named uh, uh, Albert McGilton, His brigade, they get about a quarter mile behind the gap, and they run into a guy named Maxie Gregg. Now, Maxie Gregg is a Virginian. He's close to being deaf. Yeah, he's p- partially. I mean, he's really yeah. deaf. The Feds run into him. Gregg's Virginians are not prepared for this. They see this. They see the Union guys coming at him. For some reason, he thinks it's the Confederates retreating. So he's like, all right, guys, all right, whatever. And so Greg gets his ass handed to him. He gets killed. He gets shot in the spine. Dies a couple of days later. Who knows to say if he's if he couldn't hear them, right? Maybe he couldn't give orders and. Who knows, but maybe that's part of it, you know, whatever. But no matter what happens, Greg's brigade is going to get their ass handed to him. Mm -hmm. They're going to get routed. Arsher gets pushed on his left, as we mentioned before, from Jackson. They're going to capture the 19th Georgia flag, Mary, the only flag in the Confederacy caught in this battle was this this spot. It's going to result in hand-to-hand combat, similar to what we talked about at Franklin last week. Yeah. With these guys stabbing with bayonets. There's stories of guys throwing muskets like javelins because there's no ammo. How pissed are you going to be to throw your musket at someone <laughs> like a javelin? Think about that, okay? The First Tennessee, you know, speaking of Franklin, they lost three of their commanders. So their shitty run of luck is, goes the entire war, apparently. But Mean, despite being right in the thick of all this, Mary, he doesn't get harmed at all. He's, he's oh, he Well, you know, he
1: almost does get killed, though. After the battle. right. He finds out like he takes his hat off and it's got, there's a bullet hole through it. he's he almost close, dies. Close but, no,
0: close but no cigar.
1: But he also looks for backup too. He needs support because he's got the least amount of men. And obviously like they can't keep doing this. It's like what you see at Antietam. Like eventually they get fatigued, right? And so he sends a message to David Burney's third corps and Bernie responded that he only takes orders from Reynolds. So me, is like, fuck this shit. And he ends up going down to Bernie himself. And the quote is that he lit into Bernie in full voice to almost make the stones creep.
0: Yeah. Uh, because you know How old the rolling stones are for them to creep way back in the <laughs> 1860s. I knew they were old, Mary, but maybe the stones creep, but, 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 you, but me, you know, he has, he certainly has a temper without a shadow of a doubt but before that happens i mean they get the confederates do have a counteract you know countermarch they do they do push back ultimately what happens is the union guys do get pushed back it's just really ugly hand-to-hand combat taylor they're under fire from lane's artillery there's a guy named peter lyle who's helping them there's a guy named adrian root in reserve who's helping them but they're going to get pushed back because eventually they're just going to run out of people but me to your point i mean can you imagine how much he must have ripped into David Bell, Bernie.
1: Oh, right? I can't even, like, apparently he was quite the potty mouth. I mean, he's basically my patron saint for swearing, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, you know,
0: and it's, by then it's too late, and Meade was pissed at Bernie forever after this. Oh, yeah. And then it's ironic, Bernie ends up being a division commander under Sickles at Gettysburg, which Sickles hated <laughs> Meade vice versa, so that, that, that didn't mean many favors later on with that one. But eventually, they do get pushed off early, uh, jubile early counterattacks. He finally arrives. He's got Robert Hoke and Archer, and he's got John Brockenbro, who must have new mm-hmm. sneakers because he's a, he's a Fredericksburg. Does he
1: break and run?
0: He, no, he doesn't, <laughs> Mary. Well, well, you know what? He, he, not, not quite. He's got Edmund Atkinson as well. But they're going to charge out of the woods, and they're basically going to push these guys down yep. there, right back on the hill again. They're told to stop at the railroad, which is about halfway, but they just keep going. And they end up running right into canister fire from Bernie's division, who is finally coming up now. Yeah, so he finally have,
1: decides, uh, like, maybe I should help out.
0: You know, Bernie's got John John Henry Hobart Ward, speaking of Gettysburg and Devil's Den. He's got John Cleland Robinson and Hiram Berry. They finally break the Rebel advance. So it kind of stalls out at that point. Sickles does arrive, the third corps. And so at that point, the, the Confederates feel that maybe this isn't their day here. There's just too many guys. It ends it, it ends up basically the Rebs retreating south, south again. You know, Jackson wants to counterattack again, but now that the clock is running, now it's getting dark out again. But he's also dealing with that federal artillery too. So he basically says, you know what? The hell with this. It's just not worth it. But for the Union though, I mean, again, you look at the big picture looking back in our – 2020 hindsight machine again, Mary, which we tend to do. Yeah, they wasted that huge opportunity with that rebel gap.
1: They did. They, they did. did. Well, I the think the time. problem was is Mead could not get his backup at all. Well, and that's he, and he and he knows that. Like Meade, to me is the Union MVP of this battle. I mean, I'm calling it now, even though we're not done the episode. He's <laughs> just just gonna call it. Like I would he have knows... thought it would be Howard, Mary.
0: No,
1: just Meade.
0: Just kidding. <laughs> um, but, but, he... you, but you're right though.
1: Yeah, right. But he, he goes to Reynolds and he said, my God, General Reynolds, did they think my division could whip Lee's whole army? In other words, the fuck, dude? Like- well, he has he, has, he has 20,000 in reserve he doesn't call up, okay? Yeah. And the other thing with Reynolds
0: and Franklin, for that matter, guess what? They're not even on the battlefield. They're back. Exactly. They even, they, they're not even present at the battle. So you end up having 5,000 cat Union casualties, about 3,500 Confederates. Um, and it's sad because similar to Chancellorsville or mm-hmm. Spotsylvania. Yep. A lot of the injured died in a fire on the field, burned to death yep. on the field here. And so, again, it's, a, it's, it's the beginning of a lot of wasted life here. But, again, it's a huge wasted opportunity to really drive them back, this beginning part of the battle.
1: Yeah. So that's what's happening on Prospect Hill but then we have the other part of the battle, which is oh, Mary's what's, Heights. Yeah.
0: What's, what's going on over there at Mary's Heights? Well,
1: there is one thing I want to mention because there is one guy that is involved in Mary's Heights, even though it's limited. And it's my boy, OO. He's up at like three in the morning, whatever. And he's writing a letter to his children, which he talks about his memoirs. But then he's having breakfast that morning and he and his men are outside and an old lady comes by. And this is what she says to them. You will have a stone wall to encounter hill to climb and a long street to tread before you succeed cleo he ran into oh, no but i just that's what he had in his memoirs yeah well it's
0: true it's i mean it's i was ironic, like
1: that's you know? wow like that's what she told him like it, apparently she joined them for the morning prayer and then she said this is what you have to do to succeed yeah i mean as I know, as we know they don't succeed at this battle but all these men play into well minus stonewall oh
0: yeah <laughs> I mean, that's what she's talking about the Stonewall. I Maybe mean, that's what she's talking yeah. about. But ironically, the the Mary's Heights part of the battlefield was supposed to be the secondary part. It was, yeah. it was the battlefield ended up sliding down there west of town. So, you know, real quick that area. Okay, it's all re- rebuilt now, but it's basically open fields. It's ah, some houses, some fences, some undulations. Mary across the battlefield, rolling hills. Okay. Well, we'll go with the undulations. Okay, but basically rolling there hills. is a. Okay, fine. But there is a there is a, a stream that's going to run across about 200 yards west of the town. It's a canal actually, and there's only three small bridges that cross it. And this to be important as this battle goes because the troops are going to need to funnel across these bridges. And when we find out more we, with the artillery, it ends up being a very tough spot. So basically, this is where you're going to have ultimately William French, who's going to basically come into this. So William French is going to take you know he's he's in the division of um of, of Sumner, so he's in that right wing. Uh, the right grand, I guess you want to call it. So basically what they're going to do is they are going to continue the attack. So Burnside had assumed that Prospect Hill, again, was going to be the decisive part of the battle, but he was wrong. Again, he tells them to seize the ridge again. So there's that confusion with the jargon, which goes back. But basically, you know, it's Maurice Heights. Is a, it's a low ridge. Like I said, 600, west, 600 yards west of the town. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of it is a place called Telegraph Road, which, turn, which is going to be called Sunken Road after the battle. So you know, a lot of guys will be faced down on that one at some point. You know, it's protected by a four-foot wall. The bottom line, area it's a perfect defensive situation.
1: It okay? is.
0: Yeah. Perfect, you know. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna climb Maurice Heights, you're gonna have to work for it. Is what it's gonna come down
1: to. yeah, you will. And so, like Longstreet has been able to get his troops in there for the last three weeks, Mm -hmm. so they're entrenched. And right before the battle happens, E.P. Alexander says a chicken could not live on that field when we open on it.
0: E.P. Alexander, he always hits his spots. He does. Okay, and so he's going to have lafayette McClaw's so long he's guys who's going to be up there. He's going to have 2,000 guys on the wall, 2,000. He's going to have 7,000 in reserve. A lot of dudes, right? And, you, and he has Alexander. So basically around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock noon, right around there, Sumner is going to advance. He's going to send French. Uh, Kimball's brigade is right off the bat. It's going to take 25% casualties. They're going to be under artillery fire, to your point, almost immediately. They're going to cross the canal in perfect battle line. They get to 125 yards on the wall, and they start to get cut down, repeated volleys. French's division is going to take 50% casualties right there. So right off the bat, it's brigade after brigade, and some of these guys are going to get pounded in that, that right grand division. Hancock is going to show up under couch. Um, guys like Sam Zook are going to go across. This is, we're going to see the great Thomas Meager, Mary. Yeah. Thomas Marr, the Irish Mar. Brigade. <laughs> so Thomas Marr, it, it's, it's interesting about him though because the Irish Brigade is going to ultimately end up fighting a Confederate Irish Brigade. Yeah. Uh, or a regiment, of the 24th Georgia under Colonel Robert McMillan. And McMillan, he has that quote, he goes, what a pity, here comes Mars fellows. Give it to him, boys, give it to him. So he's like, oh look, here come our fellows, kill them, you know? And there was some the quotes after this from the Irish guys. I mean, I mean these guys went through hell. There was a, a rebel soldier who said, "I'm going to read a quote to you here." Okay, they were shouting "Aaron Gobra, They rushed forward against a storm of grape and canister. Wavering not, they rushed onward until within fifty yards of the stone fence. When in one grand flash of light, sound and death, two thousand Irishmen sank down, wounded and dead. Bang. So you know how quickly that they got hissed. They, they, it was light. It was ball. Bang. Yeah.
1: Um, so that, <laughs> Darren's that, really getting into it right now, by the <sighs> way. I almost hit this damn thing.
0: He's like, you no, know, but, but regardless.
1: who's got to add that shit out.
0: But anyway, so, <laughs> it, so it, it, ends, it ends up being really sad. I mean, just, it's, it's a, you know, in the movie, gods and generals does a real good job of the scene. Mm-hmm. Say what you will about that movie, but yeah. that scene with the Irish brigade of Maurice Heights is spot on. They nailed that. Yeah. You know, more guys, like guys like Caldwell, who we'll see at Gettysburg and Hancock's division, they're going to try to stop, and they're going to fire and reload and repeat, and they're just going to stop, and they're going to be easy targets, like shooting fish in a barrel we've talked yeah. about. Now, a guy like Couch, you know, he's got three solid division commanders in Hancock, Howard, and French, basically five arms worth of division guys, Mary. Mm-hmm. If you really want to think about it? He's disgusted by this. I mean, he sees what's, well, he's, his guys are getting wasted, right? He's going to finally send in Howard, Basically, he's going to go up there. But before he sends him in, he's watching uh, Oliver Otis Howard and Darius Couch are standing uh, on a steeple in the courthouse. And they're watching this. And this is where Couch has that quote that you hear over and over again. He says, every brigade coming up in succession would do its duty and melt away like snow falling on warm ground. You hear that quote a lot about Fredericksburg. That was Couch with Howard. So Howard does finally get in instead of this frontal assault thing, he's going to, this isn't going to work. He's going to send them around the Confederate right and try to flank them. That's what he's going to try to do. Same deal. They're going to get pounded. They're going to get repelled. Longstreet, basically he's got four deep of infantry at this wall at this point. Four deep.
1: And Longstreet is shocked. Longstreet's shocked that, like Burnside's even doing this and so is is Alexander Alexander said in his memoirs I never thought Burnside would choose that point for attack like they're both sitting up there shocked I can't imagine how Longstreet feels you know however many it's not even a year later he's in Chickamauga and he's like I'm fucked I'm at the same point (laughs) where these guys were isn't
0: it funny, though, how Longstreet's different here, though, than he's later in the war? Yeah. Does he have more confidence and more? He just he he does. More, you know, he, ha- he has that quote. He says, give me plenty of ammo. I will kill all before they reach my line, he says. Yeah. And he knows. I mean, right off the bat, they know that they've got a great position. And you know, you know, no, no, he was thinking of this at Pickett's Charge the next year. Yeah, you and know he was.
1: Yeah, and he's also thinking of it when he's at Chickamauga, and he's having to launch twenty-five or twenty-six. Yes. The jury's still out on that, whatever amount it was. Well, whatever. <laughs> okay. On, well, on, whatever it is, I'm on, wrong. I'm so, Thomas. Twenty-six. You had twenty-five.
0: I'm sure it's twenty-five. Regardless, it's one after the other after the other, and they're just getting pounded. Burnside is getting is getting aggravated now. He's getting frustrated again. Burnside. He never comes to the battlefield either. He stays across Mm-mm. the river the whole time. He wants to restart the, the attacks again. Franklin on that other side on Prospect Hill says, there's no fucking way we're doing this again. He refuses the order. Uh, we're not doing it. He tells Joe Hooker, he's, Joe Hooker is commanding the Central Grand Division, let's go take a ride. I'll go take a look and see what the hell's going on. I'll come back and we'll decide. Yeah. So he goes, he comes back, and he goes, dude, no way, right? And he goes, we can't do it. We cannot do it. And so... Burn says, you got to do it. You got
1: to do it. I feel so bad for Hooker in this instance because um, Hooker said it was like attacking a mountain of rock. Finding that I had lost as many men as my orders required me to lose, I suspended the attack. I can't imagine being in that position where it's like you've been told to do something and you know, like you need, well, and you're like, okay, all right. Well, it's confusing
0: because what happens is while this is going on, The rebels are getting reinforced from Pickett's division, George Pickett, in one of John Bell Hood's brigades. So Mm -hmm. they mistaking – the union sees this, and they mistakenly, for some reason, think the Rebs are retreating. They see all the movement. They go, oh, they're bailing. Let's go. And guess what they weren't doing? They weren't retreating. So uh, you got Humphreys. He's going to be ordered to attack, so he's going to go in. It's a sad story. You can even imagine it going. So Humphreys' guys – you know, from from uh, from Hooker's army, they're going up the hill while the wounded soldiers, lying on the ground, who are hurt and can't move, are trying to grab the pant legs of the guys walking by them, saying, "Don't go, don't go, don't go." They're trying to stop them because they know what they're going into, and you can imagine that. I mean, just you know, just imagine, you know, the humanity of this all. Yeah. These guys are going; these guys are saying, "Please don't go, please don't go," and they're literally grabbing their legs and their pants to trying to. Sh- sh- Physically restrain them from trying to go up the, from go up this hill. And Sykes goes in; he gets pinned down. Hooker basically he's he's got his orders, so he orders a guy named George Getty to go in. But ultimately, what saves the Union is night falls,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that's really the end of it. This is the round of guys. You had seven Union divisions were ordered to attack at this point. How many did Burnside plan on sending at the beginning? Remember one. One, he was going to send one division against these guys. He ended up sending seven, 14 total charges, all failed between six, seven, 8,000 casualties on Marie's Heights alone. So -hmm. it just goes to show you how bad Burnside, whatever planning he had, whatever thoughts he had, how completely, completely wrong he was. Burnside finally has a come to Jesus moment and his subordinates say, we got to stop. They finally stopped it's sad because thousands of union guys are spending the night on the fields and it's cold and it's crappy out. They're unable to move because they're pinned down by the rebs on the hill. They're yeah. injured. They spend the night on the 13th, literally lying there,
1: including Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. That's right. The 20th Maine. Yeah. He, his story is one that is like, it, it's probably very similar to many men that were on there, but he had at one point, like he had like a coat over his face to keep his face warm. He was shielded by bodies. Yeah just to keep warm. And he was approached by men who were like looting, you know, and they were surprised that he was alive as well, but he's on there in the field because the, like it goes down to freezing temperatures, but there is one guy that needs to be mentioned here. And that is Richard Roland Kirkland of the second South Carolina. He's the angel of Mary's Heights and he will climb over the stone wall to provide water and comfort to many wounded soldiers on both sides.
0: It's interesting about Kirkland. He was a, a company G of the second South Carolina. He, he basically, and this is where you, you, Joseph Kershaw ends up taking over South Carolina. So he ends up because to do it, you know, basically what happens is you, you end up having an injury. Uh, so Kershaw ends up taking over. So Kershaw, Kirkland gets permission from Kershaw to gather the canteens, but Kershaw says, okay, but we, I can't call a truce here. So they're going to be shooting at you, but if you want to do it, Friggin' YOLO, go the right Union ahead. The Union troops don't—they realize what he's doing. They don't, they don't. So what happens is they ultimately see what's going on. The Union guys cheer sing, him, hold your fire, hold, your, and they cheer. So he goes from per. Now, I've also heard the stories a little embellished, Mary. I don't want to do that, but but I but regardless, there's a statue built for him at, at Maurice Heights, mm-hmm. the Angel of Maurice Heights, Richard Kirkland. Sadly, Kirkland gets killed in the next battle, so he doesn't make it. But but it's still a great story. So he's going to go and he's going to do that that night, which is the night of the fourteenth. You have the aurora borealis happen. Yeah. Northern lights. If you didn't know what that was, Mary, I to educate you a little bit on astronomy. I know you know moons, but I think that's the only one you know. So just to be sure. So th- that night, so the northern, the northern lights appear, which is very rare to be that low in that hemisphere. It is. So yeah. And all there's so many soldier diaries that talk about it. The, they just, And you can only imagine what they're thinking of the souls going to heaven. Then you know exactly what they're thinking. Yeah. And it's talked about, but at, at the end of the day with this, it's going to be without a doubt, the most one-sided union loss in the civil war. I absolutely. Mean, ab- absolute beatdown. They call Gettysburg, the angle, the high watermark of the Confederacy. This is the low watermark of the union army. Without it is. A doubt. This, 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 is, it it. is. This, is this, this is the bottom. The South is absolutely jubilant when this is over. They're mm-hmm. ecstatic. The South, the North is absolutely pissed off there was an article in one of the papers that it was not a battle, it was a butchery. And then Lincoln has that famous quote where he says, if there's a worse place than hell, I am in it." So you can see the political drop right off the bat. Now, mm-hmm. you know, we'll talk about Burnside here in a minute, but you gotta wonder what Burnside ultimately was trying to accomplish with this because he went against all of his own plans.
1: Yeah, I think he was just, he he's out of his element in this. And there's clearly other men under him that know what they're doing. I mean, Sumner, Hooker especially, and Hooker ends up taking over from him. But even Meade, even Reynolds, are. Double, I mean, Gibbon. It, me yeah, double exactly. Gibbon, double date. Like you know, but I would I would think the two that would have been better to do this would have been. I I honestly think Hooker would have been better to to do this because if Lincoln is looking for someone that aggressive, you know, and he chose Burnside because he's apolitical. You know, uh, and, and then, then he you, had Hooker He had Hooker right behind him. It's like, why not just pick Hooker? And he doesn't want to pick Hooker because Hooker's got a reputation. It's like, why not just forget about the rep for a minute and just pick the well, aggressive dude that's going to have the sound plan? Because Hooker, like when Burnside told Hooker to throw his men in, Hooker's like, the fuck?
0: Well, I mean, the thing about Burnside is, is Lincoln offered him to this, what, three times?
1: He did. And then he finally so, ordered him. Right. So what, what, what's Lincoln thinking?
0: I mean, and look, you mentioned hookers, you know, there's a famous hookers brigade and all those women and all that stuff that, you know, they hung around. No, seriously. They hung around with him and yeah. you know, he he didn't
1: invent the phrase hooker, but he surely popularized this. But it was more, right? he was arrogant, I think. Whereas like Burnside was apolitical, whereas McClellan was definitely a Democrat, which I don't know why you wouldn't assume Burnside's a Democrat because he's BFFs with McClellan. I mean, not, At this point, but anyway, but I mean, clearly there was other men in the AOP, like I'm thinking Hooker, Reynolds, Meade, that would have been far more suited for this role. And I mean, Reynolds probably would not have been considered because he was a McClellan guy, and he's a Democrat as well.
0: I think for whatever, at this point, I mean, you have to think, I I wonder if if deep down, if Lincoln really wanted to give it to Hooker.
1: He just did. I think he did.
0: did, did I think he did. And he thought because of how Hooker,
1: I think he thought of how Burnside was so like, I don't want this, but I don't think Lincoln, Lincoln not being there again, this is one of those things where you're so far away from it. You don't see all the drama that's going on, right? Like you don't see the different tensions. You don't see that Burnside and Hooker actually hate each other. And that if you're going to go to somebody and be like, okay, we're going to give it to Hooker, Burnside's going to be like, fuck that noise. I'm taking it, you know? And that's exactly mm-hmm. what he does. He takes it out of just, I think, pride out of like, I'm not letting Hooker take something from me because for mm-hmm. whatever reason, they had something personal going on.
0: And, you know, and we will talk, you know, after this campaign, you know, obviously before we, we put a bow on this one, Mary, <laughs> the, um, what happens is, you know, Burnside wants to gather his old ninth core boys and, Go charge the heights again. And personally, he's, he oh, does. Yeah, that me.
1: night they they have that meeting and they're like, he's like, I want to go attack.
0: And I said, yeah, you know what? Yeah. No. And so they eventually retire over the river and they go back. You know, they're being mocked by the Confederates from the houses as they're leaving. They're being na na na, na hey hey goodbye. They're they're just <laughs> they're just running they were just mock mocked. And then eventually, you know, it leads to you know Burnside basically doing the whole mud march and getting fired. We'll, yep. we'll talk about that later. But I think, but I think at the end of the day. You're talking about 13,000 Union casualties here versus about 5,000 Confederates, which does, you know, it's it's a it's a huge huge loss when you talk about the whole the whole picture. But um, it's a real this is a real missed opportunity at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end with this. Burnside's plan was flawed for a million reasons. The primary plan was flawed because he still thought if they went to Richmond and captured the flag, the war was going to end, mm-hmm. and it was beyond that at that point. Lincoln knew it, but you got to. Don't you got to kind of blame Lincoln a little, Mary? But not only to putting yep. Burnside in, but authorizing
1: that plan, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like Lincoln is saying he wants somebody aggressive. Well, then just fucking put Hooker in, put Reynolds in, put Meade in.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, like just put in the guy that needs to be in there. That's going to do a great job. Like if if somebody has turned it down two or three times, don't order them to do it. Because like, you know, that speech he gives, Burnside gives his generals the night before, like, don't throw cold water on me. You have to obey me. Like, they're all going to him and saying to him, like, Hooker's like, at Mary's Heights, he's like, it, I, I don't want to send my men in. And then he had, like, Hooker's basically like, I have to obey him. And I can't imagine how that stuck with them afterwards, you know, that, and you know, Howard is, Howard says before the battle happened that he was really sad because he knew what was going to happen. Like these guys knew it was going to be absolute slaughter because stuff had been ignored. You know, had the, had Burnside listened to Sumner, had he listened to Franklin for their early plan, something could have been done. Yeah. This is definitely, I think, a mistake on Lincoln's part.
0: I mean, look, Lincoln was, wasn't at the battle. He blah, blah, blah. No, no. But and that's what for- I'm
1: saying is the difference is he wasn't there. But right, but for for a guy who
0: you know who who did we think metal a little bit, we talked about that with Antietam and some other mm-hmm. stuff, this is where one he should have, right? Yep. This is where one he should have listened and said, listen, the the plan is to go get Lee. They're spread out. Jackson's to Winchester, you can go get him in Warrington, you can go get Lee right now. You have you have hundred and twenty thousand guys, but but Burnside is hell bent. I want to go take McClellan's plan, it was McMack's plan, ironically. Yep. And I want to go get I want to get Richmond yeah but again that's 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 what it was and unfortunately it got a, it got a lot of guys killed ultimately cost him his job um it really energized the Confederates going into 1863 for that really strong winning streak they went on that mm-hmm. ultimately stopped in Gettysburg in July later that year but it emboldened them now because now they knew this is a, they went they beat an army 25 percent bigger than them right yeah um, exactly but, but again you know what again though but even Lee didn't learn his lessons, though. No, because he did he, he won this battle based on being defensive. And you always want to look. Anytime you're, you, know, you want to fight a, a war or whatever, find a good defensive position. Force him to attack you. you know, but, and he, you know, he knows that, too. But then he does this in Gettysburg, does the opposite of, of this, which is ironic because when they get beat at it, Pickett's charge... What did the, the Massachusetts guys yell at them as taunt them as they're going Fredericksburg, back? They Fredericksburg, Fredericksburg, Fredericksburg. So it's it all go it's it's all tied together, Mary. It is.
1: Yeah, and the is. one thing I just thought of too is John Reynolds is offered the position of commander of AOP in June of eighteen sixty three, and he says no. And Lincoln doesn't order it on him. He orders it on Meade. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the, like, that's the weird thing is, but I think Reynolds in that meeting, he actually says, oh, but go talk, you know, like Meade probably would be a good choice. And Lincoln just sends him the order and says, this is your job now, you know? Yeah. So it makes me wonder who, like in Lincoln's mind, who he was thinking was the best, but I think Lincoln, yeah, did want to put Hooker in place, but because of who Hooker was, he was like, oh, yeah, can't do that. Mm-hmm. I think he thought Burnside would turn it down.
0: You think so? Well, he, pro- he probably he probably did. He probably did. I think he was
1: playing some kind. Like it, it. <sighs> See, I, mean, I, I think he he. Pl- you know what though?
0: He knew he hated Hooker. Yeah. And when, he, when he said, "Okay, I'm gonna give it to Hooker," then he, that's so. By him saying that was probably his last effort to try to get him to do it for whatever reason yeah. he wanted. Burnside. Whether he fell in love with Burnside and entit a few months before and helped him do his Emancipation Proclamation, maybe. May- maybe that's what it was. But regardless. Um, like the uh, the old guy at the end of the uh, Indiana Jones movie, he chose poorly, <laughs> <laughs> and what happened was he got a big capital L on the Union Army, which which had ramifications for for, uh, for almost a full year.
1: Exactly. Yep, it did. <sighs> So
0: that's Fredericksburg, Mary, a tough, a tough loss, but it is what it is. So what's, what's coming down the pike for us? Speaking of um, future attractions, Mary.
1: So next week we have our Santa McClaws episode, but a week from tomorrow, we, well, this is airing on Saturday. So on the third Wednesday of December, which I'm not sure of the date, I think it's the 16th. It is, it's the 16th. Wednesday, December the 16th, we will be having our third Civil War Roundtable. So if you would like to join us for that, um, please send an email to Club at gmail.com. And I will be sure to send you the Zoom link, because trust me, Darren does not handle that side of the shit. What, what's Zoom? <laughs> anyway, if you, are, if you have already been to the previous two... Zoom roundtables. I will already be sending you a link. You don't need to email me about that. I will be sending that to you in the next few days. Um, and then we will be doing next week, we're going to be doing our Santa McClaws episode. And then we will be doing March the Sea. Um, actually, just backtracking. The roundtable this month is actually going to have a theme and it's going to be books. So come book enable because it's Christmas.
0: Yeah, we're going to be talking about some books. We thought it was a great idea. It was one of, an idea of one of our... Um, people who jumped on the live two weeks yeah. ago, we're going to talk about some books. So we'll talk about our, our favorite books and then we'll see where it goes. So that's a good time. So we'll be doing our live again, Saturday at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, we'll talk about God knows what, and we'll, who knows, we'll try to keep it on track, but it probably won't happen. But, <laughs> we we'll, wanna we'll keep it on Fredericksburg. We'll, we'll, we'll do it, we'll, oh yeah. That'll, that'll always, <laughs> so we'll, we'll do our best at that. and God knows. We'll talk about, we like it, to know. keep
1: it on Mary's Heights for the most part. Uh, we'll talk.
0: Yeah. So we'll definitely keep it on Mary's Heights, but 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 we'll 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 end up talking about Robert De Niro and Porky Pig and all the stuff we usually <laughs> talk about. But in any case, um, anyway, Mary, I thought this was a good podcast. I thought it was an interesting one to to get into the East yep. again. We haven't been in the East since um, since Antietam, so it's, no, good it's good to get back. Good to get back. Good to get back. Good to get back East, Mary. It's good to get back home. So. I think, uh, I think we'll have a good time with Santa Claus next week, Mayor. We're yeah, going to have a good go. episode with that. We're going to yep. lighten things up a little. We've talked about some pretty dreadful battles these yep. last few weeks, so we're going to lighten things up and talk about some Christmas lists and wish lists to old Santa, Santa Claus yep. and see what these generals might be putting on their Christmas list, I think. Exactly. I think. That sounds like a pretty fun idea. So I think this is a good place to put our bow on this one, Mayor. Yeah. I think we can wrap this one up. And these two dudes talk about the Civil War can shut this down for the night. And get ready to move on to our Christmas spectacular.
1: Exactly, the first annual Civil War Breakfast Club Christmas spectacular.
0: Definitely so. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Definitely, we really appreciate the support. It's a lot of fun doing this. Obviously, we do this just 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 because we want to. enjoy it. And yep. it's, uh And and uh, really the the people who watch this and listen to this and join us in our lives are really our uh, our motivation for this. They're our adrenaline. So. Yeah, you, you guys, guys are the, awesome. You guys are the best. Um, but in any case, so we are uh, we are off. So enjoy um, enjoy the next couple of days, Mary. I look forward to talking to you soon. We will talk to you on Saturday, Mayor. Um, enjoy the rest of the week, and we will um, catch up with you and get Santa's list ready for old Santa Claus. Hope you've been naughty or nice. I think I have an idea which one you've been. So we'll um, we'll de- we'll definitely we'll de- we'll de- we'll de- we'll de- get ready for the um, for the next episode.
1: All right, guys. We'll see y'all later. Peace out. Everybody. Okay. Bye. <laughs>